Hello everyone, welcome to Langstaff Assembly Podcast. My name is Yanaili Joyce and I'm your host for this episode. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that this message encourages you and that it draws you near to God. The Bible uh, is full of, of gates. And uh, for example, the gate of the camp and, and um the gate of, of righteousness and the gates of hell. And recently uh, I've been, I was given the task of, of talking about the gate of heaven. And so um, it is in Genesis 28, um, we have the only reference to this phrase, the gate of heaven. And so I'd like to read that with us or, or with you. It's the, uh, it's the story of Jacob And we're going to um, read from verse 10, Genesis 28 and verse 10. And we'll read down to the end of the chapter. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, He put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome, how dreadful, how terrible is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So that's the expression in verse 17. This is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of the place Bethel. But the name of the city was Luz at first. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, I will give, sorry, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, 
I will give a tenth to you. Now, God will bless the uh, opening and study of his word to our hearts today. Uh, I would like uh, very simply to give seven valuable lessons uh, from this expression, the gate of heaven. First of all, I want us to consider that the gate of heaven teaches us that God works on his own schedule. It stands as a monument to uh, progressive furtherance of God's redemptive plan. From a human standpoint, things were not looking good at this point in history. The patriarch with eyes that were dimming, an older, stronger Esau vowing to kill his brother. No certain future for this fugitive. Yet through it all, God is working out his plan. Isn't it, isn't it amazing? Don't you delight in the fact that, that God knows what he is doing and is doing it regardless of, of our weakness and our sin and our failure? I mean, the Bible is full of, of this reality. In fact, it is proof that God is sovereign. He is in control and he does have a plan. Think of the, the history that led up to this point where Jacob is, uh, is lying here with his head on this rock for a pillow. I put three uh, on the, uh, just on the screen. The call of Abraham from idolatry where God in, in sovereign uh, wisdom reaches a man who is uh, the beginning of a nation for his own purposes. The miracle of Isaac, the promised son, where God in his sovereign faithfulness delivers him to prove the absolute um, godness of his program. And then the struggle of Jacob, the heel grabber, where God is in his sovereign grace, works with a man who is, is weak and, and human to further his plan of redemption. God was at work. That's clear to see. God is still at work. And I, I need to be reminded uh, of this and, and reassured on a constant basis that despite the, the chaos of our world, God is not in heaven wringing his hands and, and wondering what he is going to do next. Or regardless of, the, uh, of the, the situation or circumstance in my life that may seem totally out of control, God knows exactly what he is doing. So many questions. Have you ever wondered if God uh, could solve a huge problem in your life? 
Have you ever wondered if if God could ever use you again after the, uh, the, the, the bad choices that you have made in the past? Even in this present dilemma of pandemic, does God know what he is doing? You see, God is not caught by surprise or without resource. He has his people in the places he needs them to be who they are and to do his kingdom work. Ready for a little history lesson on the city of Toronto? I was reading uh, just recently, um, Dr. and Reverend John McPherson Scott started a Christian Jewish mission in downtown Toronto in the early 1900s. He was a man of faith who clearly preached the gospel, mainly focusing on the Jewish community. He was shot at point-blank range in front of his home on Broadview Avenue. But because of a, uh, and, and uh, to me this is just a miracle, but because of his, his um, uh, glass glasses case that was in his pocket, the bullet didn't uh, didn't go in as far as it 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 should have gone or would have gone. He survived. Later, uh, Morris Ziedman moved to Toronto from Poland just before World War One and trusted Christ under the preaching of Mr. Scott. After uh, Mr. Scott died of pneumonia in 1920, the place was renamed the Scott Institute, in honor uh, of all that he had done, and Mr. Morris became the new superintendent. In the 1920s, it was busy with uh, worship services, Bible study groups, uh, personal consultation for the needy, uh, clubs for kids, Sunday school, food and clothing distribution, and, and it, it was a long list. You know where this is going, right? Because in 1930, uh, Mr. Uh, Mo uh, Morris Ziedman, he had an idea of starting a, a soup kitchen to help those who were in dire straits. More than 200 people were served in the first meal and gradually through the depression, over a thousand people a day were fed. In 1941, Morris resigned because of a different vision to focus on uh, a little more acutely on the needs of the vulnerable. He took a leap of faith, didn't have much money, took a leap of faith and purchased a double storefront and called it the Scott Mission. And I, I thought it was really cool, really neat how Phil Burns' brother, Graham, was the director of the Scott Mission for many years prior to his death. And now, here we are, uh, contributing and helping and involved in this very same mission that started from a man, John McPherson Scott back in, 
in the 1920s. I, I, I don't know. I, I know to me, this first point, it just, uh, it, it, um, it resonates with the, the wonder of our great God, the gate of Jacob, the gate of heaven that we learn about in Genesis 28 teaches us that God works on his own schedule. Secondly, the gate teaches us that God is in heaven and we are on earth. It's good for us to remember this. When we truly learn and acknowledge who God is, we will, we will move in, in holy fear and reverence before him. Notice the, um, the language of verse 13 and, and even the word, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, for Lord. The Lord stood at the top of the stairway. And, and, and he, he, he was revealing himself. To, to Jacob. And his name here, the Lord, speaks of his eternal, eternal covenant-keeping character. I, I like how the text says that he was standing. Standing indicates uh, authority and an action. He was not sitting on the sidelines unconcerned and uninvolved and, and, and just uh, apart from what was happening on earth. He was, he was involved and active. Interestingly, the visual that we often get of Jacob's dream of the angels ascending and descending from heaven to earth and back again um, is that of um, of angels with wings, and, and they're kind of uh, moving in procession uh, upwards and downwards and back and, and forth. And I, I don't know if that's the proper uh, imagery. Maybe that comes from, the, uh, from some of the famous art uh, pictures uh, back a, a few centuries ago. But I wonder if, if a better uh, image would be that of, of messengers, angels, uh, leaving heaven on, um, on divine missions and coming to earth and, and doing the will of God on earth and returning again to heaven. Anyway, uh, the verse that comes immediately to my mind when I read uh, Genesis 28, 13 was Hebrews 1, 14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. It is good for us to remember that God has sent divine, angelic beings to protect us and to keep us and to guide us and to guard us. Now, when Jacob saw the Lord in verse 17, he said, how dreadful, how fearful, how awesome is this place. To me, it is the most normal reaction that a human being could have in the presence of of deity in the presence of, of one so great. I mean, we see it all the way through scripture with Job, with Isaiah, 
We've been going through the gospel of Mark. And, and, and when Jesus calmed the raging stormy sea, he asked them, why are you so afraid? Later on, on the Mount of Transfiguration, a similar reaction from the three. They were so afraid, they, they didn't know what to say. They, they melted at the magnificence and the greatness of, of God as they saw him. It is not so much a, a, uh, a controlled choice as it is a totally involuntary, immediate, spontaneous, overwhelming reaction. And in my mind, it is the way it should be. Solomon said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And it is also the proper stance of true worship. Now, I'm not talking about being afraid of, uh, of God or, or, or being scared or, 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 or fearful in that way. But just, um, I, I don't know, maybe we have, have lost the sense of, uh, or maybe I should just speak personally, maybe I have lost the sense of, of, of the greatness and the grandeur, the wonder of who God really is. Now, I know I've mentioned this before to you, but uh, I just want, I just put it up on the screen again, because um, I think it's, uh, it's an incredible uh, definition of worship. Just let me read it to you. It comes from uh, William Temple, who was born back in, uh, in 1881 in Exeter, and um, he was a very highly esteemed theologian of the 20th century. He penned these words on, on worship. Worship is the submission of all our nature to God. It is the quickening of the conscience by his holiness, the nourishment of the mind with his truth, the purifying of the imagination by his beauty, the opening of the heart to his love, the surrender of will to his purpose. All this gathered up in adoration, the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable. Now, you can, you can take a picture of that or a screenshot or you could Google it yourself when we're done and, and you can meditate on that for, uh, for a week, for a month. And, and it's just, it's, it's incredible to think of how God desires our fullness for himself. Okay, very quickly, point number three, the gate teaches us that God will meet us where we are. I love this. Don't forget, Jacob was, Jacob was on the run. He, he was running. He had nothing. His brother wanted to kill him. He, he had left his, his mother and father. He had no wife. He had no home. And as we have in, in uh, verse 11, for Jacob, the sun was setting. It was a dark scene. It was night. And, and he was there in his weakness and in his desperation. And it was there that God met him. 
maybe as Jacob hurried along his journey that day, I, I don't know what thoughts were going through his mind, but, but uh, maybe he was thinking uh, God had abandoned him. Possibly he thought uh, God could never use him again, especially after the way he deceived his father. Maybe he was feeling that somehow he had left God back with his parents and, and now he was on his own. No, not, that, that was not the, the case. God's grace is an amazing reality. Without it, Jacob would have been uh, destitute and, and we would be destitute without the grace of God. I don't know who wrote these words originally, but they're beautiful words on the screen. It says, I do not understand the mystery of grace, only that it meets us where we are and does not leave us where it found us. Isn't this, a, isn't this incredible? We've all been guilty of abusing grace. The reality is that, that it meets us where we are. It picks us up after we fail. It, it points us in a new direction. It actually changes our hearts and it enables us to go on and to live for God. And to me, this is an extremely practical point because the reality that, that was true for Jacob has been true for every child of God all down through the generations. God will come to our aid. God will help us in times of need. God will look after his own. And to me, these are, these are very encouraging thoughts in difficult times. Point number four. The gate teaches us that Jesus is the connection between God and humanity. It is interesting to note the contrast between what took place in Genesis 11 at the Tower of, of Babel when they tried to build a, a, a structure that would reach into the heavens. Here, the origin of the link is not earth to heaven. It is heaven to earth. It is, it is a structure that has been built by God himself. And, and this is the difference between human efforts, human religion, and God's salvation. Now, in John chapter 1, I have a reference there on the screen. In John chapter 1, the Lord Jesus addresses uh, Nathaniel. And you remember what he said just prior to this verse on the screen. He says, behold an Israelite indeed. Now he's speaking to Nathaniel. He says, behold an Israelite indeed in whom there is no Jacob. <laughs> That's what he said in whom there is no guile. That's the, that's the actual meaning of Jacob's name. Later, he, the, the reference to Jacob's dream is unmistakable. And here in verse 51, he says, uh, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven 
open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, this is a promise that Jesus made regarding his future millennial reign. In the quotation, though, Jesus replaces the ladder or the stairway with the term Son of Man, indicating without a doubt that Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the only link, the only access to the Father. Now, we learned this, didn't we, back whenever... Uh, we trusted Christ, and, and many of us uh, can go back to that day when, when, by faith, we accepted the Lord Jesus as our Savior. For me, June 27th, 1981, reading the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. How, how wonderful. And yet, that was just the beginning. And... And, and the Lord Jesus is, is not just the, the beginning point of our connection with God and the Father, but, but he is the continual access that we have. John 14 and 6 is a beautiful verse. We preach it in the gospel, but it, it's beautiful for us. When the Lord Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes. What did he say? No one comes to heaven? No. No one comes to God? No. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. And so the Lord Jesus is the, is the fullness of the Father. He is the key to the Father's presence, to God's power, to his righteousness, and to his love. And so no wonder Paul said, in his, in his great desire in Philippians 3, that I may know him. And the more we get to know him, the more we get to know the Father. Fifthly, and I'm going to have to kind of brush over this one. Uh, I'll just put them up for you to see. There's four points here, actually. And I notice that uh, I only have a couple of minutes left. So, But number five, the gate teaches us that God wants a home on earth as well as in heaven. Now, if you go through the Old Testament, you will find numerous occasions where uh, the temple is referred to as uh, the house or the household of God. Um, when you come to the Gospels, the Lord Jesus refers to the temple as the house of God, my house, uh, or the Father's house. When you come to the epistles, when you come to the letters, there's at least four clear references. Now, I can't go into detail here, but in Ephesians 2, uh, the house of God is linked with unity. Because he talks about the fact that, that we are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So every single believer, we are a part of the house of God. Now, when you come to Timothy, he tells Timothy uh, to, um, uh, to be careful how he behaves himself in the house of God, which is the 
church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. And so what the apostle is saying is that he, he wants us to live in the realm of truth. He wants us to live. that this, this truth should be the trademark of the child of God and of any local company. It's not a place that, that its main trademark is human tradition, but rather biblical truth. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars, Proverbs 9 and 1. And we want to be men and women of wisdom and truth. Now, in Hebrews 10, uh, the house of God is linked with faith. And, and the apostle says, uh, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. So what do we have here? We have believers who are approaching, believers who, who are enjoying the house of God presently. And that happens by faith. And then uh, in 1 Peter 4, uh, this one here we're going to get into in our Bible study in a couple of weeks. So uh, I don't have to get into detail. But the judgment that's, uh, that, that's uh, brought out in uh, 1 Peter 4, 17, where it says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the house of God. I don't believe that's condemnation on the believer because that condemnation was dealt with at the cross. That's what we've been appreciating already today. But Peter's main subject matter is, is suffering. Believers are suffering. And judgment is, is cleansing or, or purifying or, or purging. And the process of suffering does this. And the kingdom of God is advanced through the fires of affliction. And so what Peter is, is saying in verse 17 is that if God who loves the church and purifies her and judges her through suffering and, 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 and through difficulty, what will the end be of those who obey not the gospel of God? Okay, number six, the gate teaches us that God will keep his promises and will be with his people. If you have your Bible open to Genesis 28, just look uh, at verses 13 to 15 there. And, and some of the expressions, he says, uh, the Lord is speaking, standing, and, and he said, I am. I like that. I am the Lord. Notice what he says. I will give you the land. Uh, and, and, and further down, behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And the last phrase, I will not leave you. What does that remind you of? I mean, my mind, uh, it seems like we're in Hebrews a lot uh, today. But in Hebrews 13, the writer says, speaking on God's behalf, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And so uh, let's just stop here for a moment. Like, what, what have you been dealing with this past week? 
What have you been struggling? I mean, yeah, there's a, a, another lockdown and, and we're all struggling and dealing with certain issues on, on that level, but, but on personal levels, what have you been facing? Just, just take this promise. You can take it. I know it was given to Jacob and, and this one in Hebrews to the early believers in, in the first century, but it's for, for us today. The Lord is saying, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And just let me close by saying this. The gate teaches us that vows are important to keep. Based on what, what God had said to Jacob, uh, Jacob made a verbal pledge. And he said, he made a vow. If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace. If God is going to be true to his word, then, so he makes this verbal pledge. Then he builds a monument. This is a stone that he set up, something to remember his, his pledge. I often think of his verbal pledges as, as our pledge of salvation. I think of, um, I, I think of the, uh, uh, the, the monument as, well, it could be baptism. We're going to see a baptism, uh, Lord willing, this coming Wednesday. Or it could be some other great uh, event in, in our lives that, that mark out God's dealings in our life. But I just want to close with this. He made a voluntary sacrifice. Notice what Jacob said at the end of the chapter. And of all you give me, speaking to God, he says, and all you give me, I will give a tenth to you. And my mind went directly to Romans 12, 1, where the apostle said, in relation to uh, the, uh, what, what God had done uh, and what Christ had done for his people uh, in dying upon the cross, he says, I appeal, I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And so I'll leave you with this. I, as we think of, of all that God has done for us, may we be willing to just voluntarily give ourselves back to him. I like what the psalmist said in uh, Psalm 116, verse 12. What, it's a question, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me. Thanks for listening and God bless you all. Hey, thank you so much for listening. What a privilege it was to share God's word with you today. We pray that you were fed, strengthened, and more equipped to run the race with perseverance. To listen to more podcasts like this, make sure to subscribe. For more content from Langstaff and to connect with us, go to langstaffassembly.com. Have a blessed day and we'll see you next time.